Right here. Right here, right here, right here. Yeah. You want him? Yeah. Welcome back to the Redneck Tech Podcast brought to you by Diamondback Covers. It has been over a month since I've gotten to do a podcast. I apologize. I have been running around all over the place, which is a good thing. Uh, Business is good. I'm very busy. Got tons of work. Um, Right now I'm trying to get caught up on several edits. Plan for a couple more shoots this summer that I didn't know were going to happen or hadn't anticipated on. I actually thought I was going to have a really lax summer. I was going to try and get my butt in shape for elk season and haven't got to really do much of that at all just because I've been trying to get some of these other things taken care of and done. And uh, But just good, you know, a lot of unexpected work, unexpected money, um, unexpected time that I didn't know that I was going to have to spend on things. But, you know, that's part of it. You know, it's part of trying to build a build a business and uh, network and meet people and I'm getting to do a lot of work with people I've met along the way over the years that are you know calling and needing help now and um, and I've positioned myself to where I can be you know fast and nimble and can turn things around quickly and that's what people want right now they don't they can't they can't have the lead times that product that production companies offer they need things right now and they need you know quality content and I've you know, I think I do a pretty good job at that, and I uh, enjoy doing it. But the question I've been getting on the road, um, working with some people that I haven't worked with in the past as much, um, and I might have, uh, and I apologize if I've talked about this before. Um, this is episode 36, so I can't remember what I've done on all the other ones. Um, is essentially my story, and uh, not to sound too self-involved or too whatever, but... It's essentially like how did how did you get into this? How did you start this? And I and some a lot of you out there may have heard the story, but you know I figured I could sit down in this format and I could tell you an in depth version of that of how did you get into doing this? You know what was the path? What what things? You know what did you do? And I went, I came very unconventionally. Um, a lot of other guys that came in and did this job came in a way, I guess what you would consider the right way, you know, they created a reel, they submitted it to companies, companies like what they could do, you know, they got hired on to be a freelancer and then worked their way into a full-time job and all those good things. Well, that's not how I did it. And I thought it would be a good opportunity to kind of showcase how I did it and show you that there is really no right or wrong way to get into doing this job if this is something that you're interested in doing. Um, this job has afforded me the pro- the opportunity to meet a lot of great people, uh, to learn a lot of great things, to essentially now have a business that provides well for my family, uh, allows for my wife to stay at home and take care of our three kids. It allows me to go and see things and do things and be a part of things that I never would have otherwise. So with that being said, I kind of want to kind of want to lay a groundwork, I guess, for this story is I grew up hunting and playing baseball. Those are the only two things that I knew. Um, I never partied. I was never a guy that would go out drinking. I was never a guy that, I I mean, I was social. I mean, I did things with my my friends and my buddies, but most of the time those things were revolving around hunting, 
off-roading, um, being outside, shooting, shooting skeet, or um, playing baseball. Those are, honest to God, those are the only things that I did. Um, didn't really care about doing anything else. And and to be honest, um, I liked sleeping in my bed. If that, that is as, as stupid or you know, childish that may sound, that's the reason I didn't ever really go out and party hard or do anything like that, is I like to come home, and I like to sleep in my bed, and I like to have a good night's sleep. That was something that, and still to this day, that I take very, very seriously, is a good night's sleep. And uh, with that being said, that's kind of created, you know, who I am. You know, when I was growing up, I played baseball from the age of four to the age of 22. I played baseball in high school and in college, and um, I hunted every chance I could outside of playing baseball. Um, my dad took me, I was 18 months old when my dad took me the first time, and he shot a deer when I was 18 months old sitting at the base of a tree. Um, so, you know, hunting was something that was instilled in me extremely early, and uh, it was always going to be baseball or hunting. It was always going to be one or the other. I was going to make a career one way or the other in one of those two fields. Didn't know how. I didn't. I mean, I never thought professional baseball. I mean, I obviously thought about it, but I never thought that was going to be. That was never the be all end all. You know, I was. I always thought about coaching or training or being a. You know, something along those lines or baseball and hunting. I never really knew. I just knew I wanted a job doing it. I wanted to be immersed in it every day. You know, that's all I did and all I cared about. And it turns out hunting is you know the route I ended up going. So. When I was about 20 or 21 years old, I was reading a field and stream magazine. I'm still in college playing baseball at the time. I'd never really traveled to hunt much, never really done much hunting out of Georgia, really at all. I'd been to Kentucky whitetail hunting once or twice. I'd never been elk hunting, had never really done much turkey hunting because of baseball. But I was reading a field and stream magazine, and they were having a contest called Generation Wild. And... You had to be under the age of 18 to enter. Well, at the time, I'm 20 or 21, so I can enter. And, and the way that you entered was, to the best of my knowledge, best of my remembering, is you had to write your story of your first hunting or fishing experience, like what you remember or what you know what sticks out to you. So my brother at the time was 17, and we grew up hunting and fishing together. So I wrote down his story because I was there, you know, the, the story of his first deer. I write it out the best that I can, you know, as, and articulate as I possibly can. And a couple months later, he gets a phone call. And lo and behold, he is one of the four kids from across the country that wins this. And he has no clue I even signed him up for it because I never even told him. He calls me and said, I got just got a call from Field and Stream Magazine, and I've won a contest for Generation Wild where I'm going to be on their know uh their generation wild pro staff and i'm gonna get to do all these things and he's like i don't remember signing up for this i was like yeah you didn't because i signed you up for it several months ago never thinking you'd ever win well lo and behold that experience that him winning that is what essentially catapulted my entire career so when with winning that contest he got to do several things first thing he got to do is he got to go to uh, right outside of Lansing, Michigan, and be a, not a host, but he got to appear on an old show on Outdoor Channel 
called Outdoor Icons. Waddell was on it. Um, oh, I think, like, um, who else was on it? Like, uh, I don't remember. It's a bunch of the, I don't think Pigman was on it. Um, Shockey was on it. A bunch of, you know, the old, this was, I say old, this is eight or nine years ago. So it was, you know, the guys at the time that were at the top of the, you know, the outdoor space, they were all on the show. And it was talking about them being icons in the industry and how they were changing things. And then they brought in these kids that won, which my brother was one of them, to kind of tell their perspective and be the future icons of the outdoor industry. So I got to see how they filmed an outdoor television show. I got to see the inner workings of a production company. I'd never seen it before. I thought it was super interesting, you know, how Steve Gruber was the producer of the show and he how he produced and how he got the answers that he wanted and how he can kind of coach and guide you through an interview and how he can calm you down and um, all the different things that he did to make an interview better by producing. And I thought that was interesting. I didn't know that's how that happened. And um, so I got to I got to see that. Another thing that he got to do was he got to go on a turkey hunt with um, some of the real tree people in Alabama. I didn't get to go on that. My dad went on that one. And another thing he got to do is he got to tour real tree farms. And uh, so I got to go down there. We got to meet Bill Jordan. Um, got to meet some of the camera guys for real tree at the time. That's not there anymore. His name was Dan Johnson. And Dan took us around, kind of gave us a really quick camera course on running a camera and. Um, you know, I ask a bunch of questions about, you know, how much money can you make? You know, what's your schedule? What this, that, and the other. And I'll never forget him telling me, he's like, you know, you'll never get rich, but it's a it's a job where you'll get to travel a lot and do some really cool things and see some cool places. And that's all I cared about. I didn't care about being rich. Um, Got to do that. And, uh, you know, after that, I wanted my... Bro- so part of, part of the winning on this contest was they had to do video blogs for the website and for they had to write articles for the website uh, for the magazine so they didn't really write the articles one of the editors would call them ask them a bunch of questions and he would write the, the uh, he would write the spots for them but the video blogs they actually had to do well they gave them a little video camera and that little video camera is what they were supposed to do video blogs with and essentially it was they were gonna have to selfie cam them and I didn't want Josh's to be a selfie cam. So I went out and bought, with my own money, a second camera. And this is before HD. Um, both of these cameras were standard definition. I don't even remember what they were, to be honest. And we would go and produce his video blogs with two camera angles, shooting, hunting, you know, you know, going around our little farm there in Georgia and just trying to really go above and beyond for these video blogs. And I would edit them. I didn't know how to edit, but I taught myself how to edit on iMovie on my MacBook Pro. Or no, it was I, a little iMac. And uh, after Josh's tenure was over, which was a year, they were going to pick some new kids. And they t- called Josh and they said, hey, you've done a really good job. You did better. At all You know, you went above and beyond more so than the rest of the kids. Would you be interested in staying on and doing some more work for the website? And my brother told him. He said, I didn't do any of that. My brother did all of that. He's like, I don't, I just hunt. I don't do any of that technological stuff. And my brother's not tech savvy, never has been, ever will be. He's never been interested in it one bit. He just liked to hunt. And uh, and I always have been tech savvy. I've always had a tech kind of personality and mindset all the time. So that was right down my alley. So they called me and they said, would you be interested in helping? And I said, sure, but 
you know, this video thing to do it right, it's expensive. You know, I was looking at buying new cameras and new gear and this, that, and the other. And they said, well, we'll pay you. So my first gig was to produce six web shows for Field and Stream and Generation Wild. And they paid me $5,000. And I thought I was rich. I couldn't believe it. I took that $5,000 and I spent $2,500 on my first ever HD camera, a Canon XHA1. I'll never forget, I drove down and met a, a girl at Caribou Coffee in Roswell and bought it used. I'm pretty sure every camera I've ever bought has been used. I don't think I've ever bought a camera new, to be honest, now that I think about it. I just bought a new A7R II the other day used. I say new, I bought it used off of eBay. But uh, So I bought that off Craigslist from a lady at Caribou Coffee, and I ran that camera for three and a half years for whoever to let me go. That was the next step, was now what do I do? How do I continue on? So I do the web shows, I make money, that $5,000, and spend $2,500 on a camera, and I take $2,500, and I'm sure I spent that on camera arms and everything else. So I've got this camera, and now I'm like, okay, how do I continue to make money? Because I like this. I like getting to go out and hunt and you know mess around and create videos and make money. I was like this is this is a possibility. So uh shortly after that I graduated from college and I got a job in IT. And I loved it for about the first year, year and a half. I was working with one of the best human beings I've ever worked with. He taught me a lot. His name's Maurice Graham. And um we would go around to small businesses and we were essentially the the guy that would fix your emails and you know clean off um you know, run AVG and get rid of your viruses and that kind of, I mean, it was small business related IT work. And um, I enjoyed it. I just enjoyed Maurice. He was a really great mentor uh, in business and in life. And um, during that time, I was making like $25,000. Um, recently, I gotten married. So, but during that time, for about three and a half years after the Generation Wild stuff, I would run camera for whoever let me go on my own time, on my own dime. I would drive all over Georgia, sometimes other places, and film for whoever wanted me to go. I wanted to build relationships. I wanted to gain experience. I wanted to get footage that I could use for myself to promote myself. I never, I mean, I hunted a little bit myself and was on camera, but I realized early on the money was not in front of the camera. It was behind it. So I would go with whoever would let me go. I created a web series called DRT Hunting. <laughs> that was where everybody, you know, actually had a back in the day had a decent following. I don't, I don't really know numbers. I just know people still reference that today when I talk to them. You know, that was the first time they'd ever seen me or heard about me was on DRT Hunting. Went through a bunch of guys there, a bunch of pro staff guys that wanted to come in that thought that they wanted to run camera and hunt. Um, and do the video thing, but then they realize they have to give up half of their hunting time to do it, and they weren't willing to do that. So, you know, I bet over the years, I bet I went through 20 or 30 different people that wanted to be a part of that, but none of them really panned out. I was I was the only one that wanted to drive and go. You know, some of those guys, I say that I'm the only one, some of those guys still have jobs um, in the hunting industry and in, in video industry. Um, extremely talented. Um... And that was really the way that I started was for three and a half years, just meeting and, you know, meeting people and, you know, talking and videoing and going. And 
running running gear, filming hunts, and we didn't really kill much of nothing. You know, I could only go on the weekends and the afternoons and vacation and holidays and you know that kind of type thing. So it was just a grind for a long time to try and you know get enough footage to you know make something to to showcase myself. And I thought I knew what I was doing. And now I look back at some of that video and I was clueless. I had no idea what I was doing. There is such a big difference between running a camera or filming a hunt than telling a story and, and you know filming a television show or a web show. There's so much more to it. And I didn't realize that. I didn't realize there were so many other pieces to the puzzle that I was missing. I was just worried about filming the hunt. I didn't do anything else. I thought that's all people cared about, which in, I mean, kind of sort of that's all people care about is the hunt and the kill. But at the same time, you know, you've got to fill an entire show or you've got to tell an entire story. And I never was doing that. So after doing that for about three, three and a half years, I was sitting watching Swamp People one day or Swamp Bloggers or I can't remember. It was one of those type shows. And I had an idea that kind of along those same lines of how that could fit into a hunting show how you could morph that idea into a hunting show. And um, I I knew Jeff Foxworthy through a friend of a friend of a friend type thing. I had his email address. And uh, I wrote down this outline of this show idea. I wrote it out as eloquently as I possibly could. And I emailed it to Jeff. And within two days, I got an email back. And he said, I love this idea. I have a friend of mine I would like to pitch this idea to. Do you mind? I said, absolutely not. A couple weeks later, I get a call from Mark Womack, who is my former boss, who said he loved the idea and he wanted to try and film a pilot with it. Would I want to help? And I told him I'd quit my job. I didn't care what I had to do. I wanted to be a part of it. So that went on for about a year. I went down there. He called me. We went down there, spent the night at his house filmed the pilot for the show, which was with Jeff Fox, where they got to meet Jeff. The show, the idea had changed, but essentially what my idea was was the spark to create the web series that was Fox Worthy Outdoors, which I produced for over three years. And that idea, and knowing Jeff, and it being a good enough idea, is essentially what got me my first job and my start in this industry. And when I started working at Sub 7, I learned more in three months, working with Chance Chancellor, working with Nate Thomas, working with guys, which it was it was just me, Nate, and Pender when I started, and Mark. We were the only ones there. I was the, one of the first four at Sub 7. Now there's, I don't know, there's like 11 or 12 guys, which some guys have left now. But, you know, at our height, I think we had 13 or 14 guys right before I left. You know, and I was one of the first four or five, whatever it was, and uh, I learned more from Chance and Nate than I did in three and a half years of doing it on my own. And I'll never forget my first day at work, or my first week at work, they were all at the SHOT Show. So I was there all by myself, twiddling my thumbs, not a clue what to do. And then uh, they got back, and I remember Chance handed me a hard drive, and it was a Respect the Game show. That was the one when we were editing a Respect the Game. And it had four kills... For four segments, he said, I need you to take each one of these kills and build it into a segment around roughly five minutes, you know, for all four kills. So it's about 20, 21 minutes of content when it's all finished. And I said, 
Chance, I've never edited a television show before. And he said, he said, edit the four segments, make them equal about four minutes or five minutes each, 20 minutes total. And then I'll come in and I'll help you show you how to finish it and color it and all that good stuff. And I said, okay. And uh, I started editing that show and I think it took me probably three or four or five days to edit that first segment. And that should only take me about a day or even, you know, less than a day now. But uh, it took me a long time, and Chance was extremely patient with me. And I remember I took it into his office, or I brought him into my office, and I showed him. He's like, he's like, you know, that's that's pretty good, but it's too long. You need to cut it down. I was like, okay. So I start. I go through for another day or so, and I cut it down, which should took me about thirty minutes. Um, it took me about another day. Called him in there again. I said, okay, what do you think? He said, it's still too long. I go in there the third time to cut it down, call him in my office. So after the third time, he's coming in to look at this one segment of a show that's probably taken me over a week and a half to do, and he says, it's still too long. And I got mad. I was like, Chance, there's no way that I can cut this down anymore. I really don't know where else to cut. And that's when he kind of gave me the chance, chance smirk or the chance smile, and he said, watch. And he sat down, and in about seven or eight minutes, to you know, to my from what I remember, he cut about a five and a half minute segment that I'd worked on for a week and a half down to around three minutes. And I was in absolute amazement. And that was the light bulb moment for me on how to edit was seeing somebody that knew what they were doing, walking me through how to cut out the gaps, how to cut out repeats, how to cut out ums and ahs, how to speed up the timeline, how to come in and out of a song. And in less than, I would say less than a half of an hour, going through that segment with him, it all made sense. And I I looked at him and I said, I would have never been able to do that on my own. It, t- it took somebody that knew what they were doing to show me, look, this is how you do it. This is why you do this. This is how you end a song. This is how you transition. This is a transition shot. This is an establishing shot. This is why we cut out the ums and uhs. This is how you cover up and edit. This is how you do this. This is how you do this. I didn't know how to do any of that. I was just essentially vomiting through the video, you know, letting it all play out. And I was trying to play, make sure everything played out linearly. He showed me that, you know, sometimes the linear approach doesn't work. You have to change up time. You have to go back. You have to look for clips in other places. You have to, sometimes you have to find a clip that may, may or may not make sense. And you have to make it make sense. And in that day, that was the light bulb moment for me. That's how you do it. That's how you edit. That's how you keep up show pace. And honest to God, from that day forward, with his continued help and Nate's continued help, that was that was it for me. I I got it. Now I understand, and uh, I continually got better and I learned and I got better and I learned and I got better and I learned, and uh, I edited. You know, I think at the end of the end of the summer, or I guess it would have been I was I started January fourteenth, twenty thirteen or twelve. I don't remember, and. Um, I think I edited four Respect the Game shows before it was all said and done. And it probably took me most of the quarter to do that. But I just I just felt so accomplished. I felt like, you know, I can do this. And then over the next five years, 
we grew and grew and grew um, exponentially. We got we got the the crush with Lee and Tiffany shortly after I started. Um, you know, we ended up by the time I left, we were doing seven television shows and um, the Under Armour short film series, and you know it was a whirlwind. We which we never had enough guys to do all the work we did. We all worked. We were paid on salary because there's no way anybody could have afforded us on hourly rates because we traveled and worked so much. I mean, this, you know, you know, Pender and those guys, I mean, they're on the road 220, 240 days a year, um, you know, burning it up. You know, the, some of the, we had, we had guys that videoed and edited, which we only had a few of those. And then we had guys that just edited and then we had guys that just video, um, producers. And, uh, in my opinion, you know, at our peak, there wasn't a better, there wasn't a better team in the outdoor business. And, uh, you know, Nate Thomas, he, he's the chief editor at sub seven. He still is. You won't find a better editor. Um, he's an absolute machine. He puts on his headphones, sits down behind his computer and goes to town. Um, Nate's responsible for all those awesome edits you've ever seen on the crush and under armor and, all those things that are just epic and awesome, you know, Nate probably edited those. Um, he's not what you'd think of as an editor. Um, he's he's much more of a sports guy, um, football, you know, that type thing. But he understands how to edit. He's extremely creative and he's extremely focused. Um, you know, Chance has recently left Sub 7 and started his own gig um, doing some video and consulting and He's a technical genius, technical wizard, and probably one of the my probably my biggest mentor there at Sub Seven was Chance. Uh, he was the glue that kept it all together. Um, but you know, just an absolute great team of people that created some awesome stuff. Uh, you know, and I worked on Foxworthy Outdoors there. I worked on The Habit there. The Habit was my baby for over three years. Um, and I was I, I co-produced um, Gamekeepers with Mossy Oak for a year with Brandon. Um, helped their editors learn how to edit that show. Uh, Jason Cleveland, who's not on, who's not editing anymore, but just a I got to do so much and, and meet so many people and go so many places. You know, and a year and a half ago, I left and went out on my own, and I've been happy. You know, I got to move home. My wife got to stay home and keep kids, and you know that's that's kind of how it's happened for me. Uh, very unconventional, but I don't think I'd change it if I could. Um, I think I would. I would have rather changed my major in college. I wish I would have went into some more media-related major than a business major because I don't feel like I use my business major that much. But um, now, now my biggest. The worst part of of owning my own company now is chasing money. Is when people owe you money, trying to get them to pay you. That's the worst part. I, I don't I don't mind any of the rest of it. The video and the filming, the editing, the producing, the phone calls, the you know text messages, the you know c- you know contact rela- you know uh, client relations, any of that stuff. I don't mind any of that. But chasing money is the worst part of it. If I could just if I could afford to get somebody else to chase money, I would. But it's part of it, unfortunately. But, you know, I just felt like I needed to tell that story. I told it to a bunch of people and um, never told it, I guess, that far in depth. And I thought this would be a good platform to do that and to kind of show guys that there's no right or wrong way 
to go about it if this is something that you want to do. You just got to work for it. I mean, I did it for three and a half years for free just to get the opportunity. And I get it. I did get the opportunity and I made the most of it. So that's really all it's about is, you know, opportunity. And you got to work for that opportunity most of the time. It doesn't just get handed to you. So that's my story, I guess. Um, and I will continue on. I mean, this is what I was, I think this is what I was meant to do. And I plan on doing it as long as I possibly can. Um, but yeah, so that's the story of the the now Copeland Creative uh, Redneck Tech Podcast and everything in between. But I uh, hope you guys enjoyed it. Uh, if you have any questions, it's uh, rednecktech at gmail.com. Uh, website is rednecktechpodcast.com. And uh, the Instagram is at rednecktech podcast pretty sure i haven't even looked this is how long it's been guys since i looked at anything i can't even remember what our handle is on instagram but anyway um hope you enjoyed it and um i will got some more guests i'm going to be doing stuff with in the near future now that i've got a two or three weeks of kind of lax time so i will see you guys soon peace (laughs) 